Bibles. Oops, there we go. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1 as we continue in our study of the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark chapter 1, the title of the message this morning is Kingdom Power. We look at verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As you're turning there, just by way of review, last week we, see the, we saw the incredible power of Jesus as he spoke with authority. And the scriptures told us that he spoke unlike the scribes. Uh, he spoke with power as he portrayed their, or proclaimed the gospel of, of God. Says we also saw the incredible power of Jesus as he commanded the demons to come out from the possessed man. And what's more, he simply spoke a command and they obeyed. And today we're going to continue to see his incredible power even over illness and once again in his very life and how he touched many. I want to begin reading. If you would follow along, and let me just say as we have said in the past, if you're here this morning, you don't have a Bible. We do have several extra on the back uh, table there. Uh, they're the same translation that I preached from, the Christian Standard Bible. You are welcome to take one if you don't own one. Gladly, gladly give you one so that you can follow along. Mark chapter 1, beginning verse 29. says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve him. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, the whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. May your word have its will and its way in our, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just show yourself strong through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm thinking all week as I read through this passage over and over and over again, I'm wondering to myself, what is different really from last week's message? So Jesus goes in there, he shows his power, he speaks, things happen, and we know that he speaks with authority, unlike the scribes, as God reminds us, but really he comes to continue the work that he's already in the midst of doing. And I'm trying to think to myself, what is the application here? What is it that he's trying to tell us in God's word? What is it that he wants us to learn from it? And so as I do quite often... I just take it again and read it and read it and read it and begin to take, a by, take apart the phrases line by line by line and really you begin to see another story. I think sometimes we miss what it is that God is trying to show us because we're too big in a blasted hurry to really take time to learn, right? Anybody not busy? Anybody you know, just have all kinds of free time? We get so hurried in our life that we don't take the time to read. And read with expectancy. 
and asking God to show us what it is that he wants us to learn or glean from the word. And uh, I know for myself, sometimes it, it can become, and I hate it, but I have to be honest, sometimes I'm getting there and I'm like, okay, what is it in the text I need to draw out? And I forget to take the time to pray and say, God, what is it that you want to bring out in the text? And so as I'm going through this, I'm trying to find what it is that God wants to show me. And what is it that he wants us to learn? So as we look at today's text, we see yet another extension of the power of Jesus. And nonetheless, there are several interesting facets found in this text. So let me just share a few of the topics, the themes, uh, the circumstances that we see in today's text. And once again, we're going to see the incredible power of Jesus as he ministers. First of all, Simon's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus heals her. It almost seems almost nonchalant. He gets there, he heals her, next. Hold that thought just for a few moments and we're going to come back to it. And as soon as Simon's mother-in-law is healed, it just says she gets up and begins to serve. It doesn't tell us anything in between there. I, I can assume that there's nothing else that really happened there. She's healed and boom, she's serving. We'll come back to that. And by evening, the sick and demon possessed of the town were waiting at the doorstep of Simon and Andrew's house. Uh, something happened whereby the word got out. Did Jesus at work again? He's performing miracles again. And everybody has showed up. And then Jesus takes the time to heal the sick and cast out demons. But he doesn't let the demons speak and say a word. What's with that? I mean, isn't, isn't it kind of like some of us, I won't say all of us, that when you win a game that you kind of got to gloat a little bit? <laughs> Told you. Knew I was going to beat you. Told you I was going to beat you. There was nothing. Demon be gone. She serves. Next. Keep these things in mind just for a minute. Get a big picture of what's going on here. And the next morning, while it's still dark, Jesus goes away to a deserted place to pray. And people are wondering, where did Jesus go? I mean, what happened to him? Where did, where did he go? And when Simon found Jesus, he tells Jesus that everyone is looking for him, for you. Okay, let's go over here. He doesn't go back over to where everyone's looking for him. No. And Jesus reminds his followers of his purpose. To preach the gospel and to drive out demons. But let's really, let's break this down just a little bit. Let's take a closer look at the text. Well, Jesus and his followers leave the synagogue, and they head over to Simon and Andrew's house in Capernaum. And by the way, that's where Jesus most likely grew up most of his life. Capernaum is a uh, little village on the Sea of Galilee. It's interesting to note that, first of all, Jesus performed an incredible miracle in the Father's house, in the synagogue, if you will. And now he's going to perform an incredible miracle in his friend's house, Simon and Andrew's house. Uh, as he drives out a demon and, per and performs this incredible task of healing. No doubt the disciples were tired and were probably ready for a break of some sort. It tells us in the text there in, in Mark chapter 1 that they left the synagogue and they went to the Andrew's house. I mean, I, I can imagine just for a moment it's drawing on evening and the word is getting out that Jesus is at work. He's performing miracles. And I'm sure they're tired. They put in a day's work, if you will. There was a big gathering. Lots was happening. There's a lot of circumstances taking place. 
But they go over there, no doubt, probably tired, needing some rest, needing some food. However, when they arrive, the mother-in-law of Simon Peter was sick with fever, and they tell Jesus about her immediately. And let me ask you a question. Why did they immediately tell Jesus about their mother-in-law? They wanted him to heal her. I mean, after all, we've got the most incredible miracle worker that has ever been known. He's in my house. we got a task for you, Jesus. The Greek word used here for the fever literally means fire. Most likely she was burning up with this fever. In fact, Luke chapter 4 verse 38 in a parallel passage says she was burning up with high fever. I don't know about you, but get a picture of what's taking place here. Here's the mother-in-law, Simon Peter, burning up. Jesus, we need you to know something. Jesus already knew. But he goes in there. He doesn't do any ritual. He doesn't do any you know, hocus pocus. He just says, grabs her hand, helps her up. Listen to this. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. Okay, you want to go in there? Done. Next. But it's more than that. It just once again shows the incredible power of who Jesus was. This God who had come down to earth, flesh incarnate, living amongst men and performing that which only God could do. And he just simply takes her hand, picks her up, and what does God's word tell us? The fever, gone. I mean, just gone. How would you respond? I don't know about you, but I know so many of us in our culture, when we don't feel good, we're down for the count. Especially us men. For a lot of years, I said getting sick was 90% in your head. Now that I'm a little bit older, I'm like, no, nah, it's all over my whole body. I don't feel good, and I'm a baby. So are some of you men. So. Just put that in your cap. But she didn't lay around. And let me just say as a side note here. We see a little bit about the fact that Peter's married. You don't read much about her. We don't know much about her except for this little excerpt. We don't know if they had children. We don't know who her parents were. We don't know where they came from. We just know a couple things. She loved her mother. And she was one to take care of her. She was a servant. And she began to serve those that were in the house. But notice how Jesus responded. As soon as the disciples said, Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, he frantically looked at them and began to panic. Is that what he did? No. Like he had done in so many other circumstances, he calmly walked over to her. He simply takes her by the hand and raises her up. Immediately the fever had vanished and look what happens next. She begins to serve everyone around her. <laughs> There's no time lapse in between being held lifted up and her service. She immediately gets up and begins to serve. 
And the question comes to my mind. Think about this. Shouldn't that be the response of everyone who is touched by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve Him in return? Should it not? I mean, if we think about that, all the things that Jesus Christ has done for us, the very fact that we woke up this morning with breath in our lungs, the very fact that we can walk here with our feet, the very fact that we can have mind that is clear and can think and can reason, and we have our health, and yet we do very little in response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Shouldn't that be the response of any one of us who have been touched by the life of Christ to immediately serve Him in response? Romans 12, 1 reminds us, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and have we not all experienced the mercies of God? Think about that for a moment. If you're here today, you've experienced the mercies of God. If you woke up this morning, you've experienced the mercies of God. And what are we doing in response to that? He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your true worship. You want to worship God? It starts with service. And that starts with surrender. God, you have my life. Whatever it is that you want to do with it, I'll let you do with it. That's where it starts. So often we wait till it's convenient. If I have time, if it's convenient, I'll do fill in the blank. Unfortunately, I've heard over the years that I've comments like this. Well, I've put my time and it's time for another generation to step up. While I agree that it is time for a generation to step up, I also believe that it is a time for a generation not to quit. I absolutely believe that we need a generation of old people who will continuously live out their faith and be a living testimony, an example of the faithfulness to God and see what God would do through in and through your life. There's no age limit to service, young or old. Shouldn't that be the response of everyone who is touched by God to serve in response? As soon as the fever was gone, she didn't wait for it. Well, I guess now that the fever is gone, I'm just going to rest a little while, then I'll get up and get going. She immediately got up and began to serve. What are you doing for the Lord? I can imagine just for a moment that this house was maybe a little bit bigger than the average. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But everybody had gathered there. There are people there. It was a place where people needed to be fed. A place where people needed to rest. And this lady gets up and begins to serve everyone in her sight. Now that Simon Peter's mother-in-law is healed and serving others, a time of rest was taking place. In fact, even though it may have been quiet inside the house, it was not quiet outside the house. I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm tired... I want to rest. Anyone else? Jesus heals this lady and lays down to rest. But outside the house, a crowd is gathering. You see, they had just left the synagogue. No doubt many um, 
Well, the Sabbath had ended at sundown, and the crowds began to gather outside the doors of the house. In fact, the Bible tells us that the whole town gathered as they had brought all the sick and demon-possessed to him. And I find this just a little bit interesting, just for a moment, that right away in chapter 1, he begins to cast out demons. And as we go a little bit later, he's casting out demons. And a little while later, he's still casting out demons. And I wonder, the first thought that came to my mind is that there was a lot of demon-possessed people around him. I wonder if some of the circumstances are the, such that in our day and age, Satan is very much at work. He's alive and well. And we've just become cold-hearted. Maybe a little bit calloused to what's going on around us because we're so inwardly focused on what's happening in our own lives that we don't see really what's going on around us. You see, I've got a task, I've got a job, I've got a description, I've got a to-do list that I need to get done. And when I'm worried about getting what I have to get done, I don't really worry about what's going on around me. You know what I think? I think Satan is still at work. You hear me? Do you believe it? I don't think we do. You see, we always think that Jesus came to town to heal the sick and the lame and to give a hearing to the deaf and to give a voice to the, to the dumb. And we think that Jesus was just there to you know, do his miracles. And wow, wonderful. Yay, rah, rah, Jesus. Look what he done. But I find it amazing. In verse 38, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, he says, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I come. And he went to all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. That was the very reason he had come. We think about the teaching aspect, but we don't think about so much about casting out demons, do we? <coughs> I think Satan is still at work. I think this was likely a good-sized crowd. Why do I say that? Uh, because when evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And it says two little words there. The whole town. No doubt. Many of the people who had gathered there were true followers of Jesus Christ. No doubt. <clears throat> but some of them were not. But they had heard that Jesus was doing miracles. He was casting out demons. Because remember, way back in chapter, just last week's text, he didn't preach as the scribes did. He preached with authority. And when he opened his mouth, things happened. So the excitement is in the air and people are talking about what's happening. And the whole town begins to gather. And lest you think just for a moment it was chaos, it really wasn't. Because in the Greek word behind the word assembled was mean that they were all interested. They came there for a purpose. There was a reason for their gathering. And they weren't going to leave until that purpose was fulfilled. They came there, here it is folks, with expectancy. They came with expectancy. Think about that for a moment. That means when they gathered there, they wanted to see Jesus do something. 
And I'm preaching to myself this morning, church. Do we come with expectancy? Waiting for God to do something. Or do we show up? You and God know the answer to that question. Because far too often, oh, I want God to work. But I don't know how, that I have that expectancy like I ought. There's a lot here. This assembly, they came with expectation. They weren't going to leave as a peaceful gathering to see Jesus do something. Yes, some of them were followers, others were not, but they wanted to see Jesus do something. So what happened? They brought all the sick, those who were that need to be healed for various circumstances. <coughs> and it says here that many were healed, and many people were, were sick with various diseases were healed, and he drove up many demons and would not allow them to even speak. They knew who Jesus was. Remember, we reminded in James, he said, even the devils know who Jesus is and they tremble. The demons tremble. But you know what I think? This is just me, thanks. It's my own opinion. I'm going to insert there. He said to let them know that he was in charge. Was it in Jeremiah? We're reminded of the very fact that he says they serve false gods, they serve idols who have eyes but cannot see, ears that cannot hear, mouth but cannot speak. What did Jesus do? As we learned last week, he said, be silent. He shut their mouths, proving further that he is God in the flesh, proving further that he was in control, proving that he was the one with authority, proving that he is the one who can make a difference, not these demons. But just a point of interest to consider here. Some people came hoping to see Jesus do a miracle. Did you get that? Some people came hoping to see Jesus do a miracle, but others became, came because they needed Jesus to do something in their own lives. Others came because they had a need. You see, the motive behind your coming to Jesus really does say something. It really does. You see, either I want to see a spectacle, I want to see a miracle, I want to see something happen, or I'm wanting God to do something in my life. It's cool when he does it over here or over here, but what about my life? What's the motive behind your coming to Jesus? And I think that's still a valid question for today. Just as they had assembled out there behind the front door of Simon and Andrew's house, it's the same question today. You see, I think some people come to Jesus out of fear. They just want a fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? I'll say a prayer and I'm on my way to heaven now. Woo! Got that done. Got the insurance. Going to put it in the safe. Spin the dial. Nobody has access to it. I'm on my way to heaven. Boom. Done. Done. And I would question salvation under those terms. But see, some come to Jesus out of love and sincere gratitude because they've learned who Jesus is and what he's done. 
I mean, only a God like that would leave the splendor of heaven and come down to earth as a lowly man and give his life on a cross, shed his blood, that we might have redemption for our sins. And James 2 says that person will want to serve Jesus. I just believe this. Remember, those who are truly touched by Jesus will want to serve him. What's your motive for coming to Jesus? Others came hoping to see something. But some come because they have a need. I don't know about you, but I, I agree with the Apostle Paul. I am the chiefest of sinners. I need Jesus. In my flesh, I am worthless. Ask my kids, ask my wife. In my flesh, I am worthless. Being filled with the Spirit, I can operate in a way that would be pleasing to God. Apart from that, I can't. And neither can you. And just one more point. This is my own personal belief. I don't believe that demons can possess a true child of God. And here's why. God's Word tells me that if I'm truly His, that His Holy Spirit lives within me. And I don't believe that God is going to share His, res his residence with any demon. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You see, when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it says His Holy Spirit came and indwelt my life. I don't believe a demon can possess a true child of God. I believe he can't oppress, and I think he's busy at work doing that. Say, so, well, how do I know if someone is possessed or oppressed? First John chapter one or four verses one through four says, "Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and this is how you know the spirit of God." Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is ready in the world, already in the world. And you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If you have the Holy Spirit of the living God living within you, you're a child of God. And God's word tells me in my Bible that if we resist the devil, he has to what? Flee. Some people haven't been taught that yet. I can only imagine as this story is unfolding that Jesus must have been a bit tired. He laid down, got some rest. But after a long evening of healing sicknesses and casting out demons, he needed that rest. And after a few hours of sleep, Jesus arose early in the morning. In fact, God's word tells us while it was still dark outside. Why would Jesus awake so early after the likeliness of a busy evening? Though his physical body needed rest, I believe his inner man did too. It needed a time of re, being rejuvenated. And he did this through prayer. And we see two things. He sought a time to pray, and he sought a place to pray. Something about the time. 
When do you pray? Just think in your mind, just for a moment. Just just walk through that. When do you pray? Before the meal? Quick prayer before you go to bed? Ten second prayer before you get up in the morning? Lord, so far I have not yelled at anyone. I haven't had any bad attitudes. I haven't sinned. But I'm about to put my feet on the floor, Lord. When do you pray? You see, I think prayer is a secondary to-do list item for too many of us. See, well, there's so many other things that we feel are important. I mean, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. But when do we pray? With fervency. Let me just say, I'm not minimizing the 30 seconds here and the 30 seconds there. I'm not, I, I don't want to in any way minimize that. I know that there's a period in all of our lives, there's those chapters that we go through where it's more difficult at, a, at one time than another. And I can remember in our first church and a pastor, I used to go hide in the bathroom because the kids wouldn't think you were in there. You leave the light off on purpose. They didn't see the light, you're not in there. You'd hide. Some of you are there. I understand. So I don't want to minimize the 30 seconds here and a minute there. But what I have found in my life is that taking time to pray is hard work. It really is hard. It's not natural to just sit and pray for a period of time. And I can remember as God was teaching me how to pray, I, I was at college, and I can remember thinking, I'm going to take some real time and pray. And I can remember the first time God, God really challenged me to be a person of prayer, and to be a man of prayer. I can remember thinking, I'm going... I found my place that I was going to sit down and pray, and I remember thinking, I bowed my head, and I closed my eyes, and I began to pray as I normally would. And man, I prayed for everything under the sun. Everything I could possibly think of. I mean, I prayed for every relative that came to my mind. I prayed for every circumstance that came to my mind. I prayed for anything that I could possibly think of. I look up, and in like four minutes. Any of you all been there before? I just find that sometimes to have a meaningful time of prayer, it takes time. And it's a process of learning to get with God and to talk with God and to plead your heart out before him. He had had some physical rest, but he needed rest for the inner man too, and he did that through prayer. He needed a time to pray, and he sought a place to pray. And simply just say this, a place where you can be undistracted. A place where you can go, where you can have a few minutes. A place where you know you won't be bombarded by something or someone. You know, no doubt the miracles that had taken place just the night before were still very fresh on all their minds. What, what, what's happening here? Look at verse 35 with me, just for a moment. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying, and, I mean, he purposely got out of the house. He purposely found a deserted place. And nobody would leave him alone. Look at this, verse 36. Simon and his companions searched for him, 
And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, where, what are you doing? No doubt the miracles that had just taken place the night before, they're all fresh on everyone's mind still. I'm sure it was exciting, right? I mean, gee, you should have been there. Jesus was out there healing people and casting out demons. You should have been there. You should have seen it. The word was out. There was excitement in the air. No doubt. No doubt that others wanted to see yet more of his miracles. Where have you been, Jesus? We've been looking everywhere for you. You know what Jesus did not do? Oh, I'm sorry, Peter. I, did, I didn't know. Let, let me pack up my stuff. Let me. He didn't go running to the masses. He kept focus and was not distracted from the purposes for which he came. And yet another question comes to my mind as I'm reading through this. How often are we distracted? How often do we lose focus on what's most important? Let's be honest. How often do, are we distracted and how often do we lose focus? How often, there's another one. <coughs> how often do we let others or things or circumstances dictate our every move? Just got a call, I got to respond to it. Just got a text, I got to respond to it. Jesus had just done all these miracles. Where have you been, Jesus? Everyone's looking for you. He didn't run back with Peter. He simply says this. Oh, let me back up. You know what he didn't do? Peter. Wasn't that awesome last night? I mean, wasn't that not cool what happened last night? Wasn't that awesome? He didn't bring up the miracles of last night. The fact that everyone was looking for him never even phased him. Here's how he responded. Verse 38. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. I'm not going to be a spectacle. I'm not here to give everyone a sight of healing. Guys, we're going on to the next village because I need to preach there too. That's why I've come. He never let people or things or circumstances or situations dictate his move. He's God. He kept focused on what his father's mission was. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever found that Jesus doesn't respond the way you want him to? <laughs> For real, have you ever noticed that? I mean... We have this prayer, and we want God to do this, and we want him to do it this way, and this is when we want him to do it, right? And God doesn't always operate that way. In fact, he seldom does, because he knows better. He's infinitely more wise than that. And I'm so thankful that sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because he has something better in store.
man, if, we if God would have answered some of my prayers, I'd have been shortchanged from what he really did want to do. Because he's a God that can do abundantly more than we ask or imagine, right? We forget that. Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there. This is why I've come. So he goes into all the Galilee preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. He was about his father's business. In conclusion, let me just kind of wrap this up by asking a couple of these practical application questions. Number one, have you been touched by Jesus? Have you been touched by Jesus? Has Jesus done a work in your life? If so, how are you responding to that? And let me just say this in kindness and love. Some of you haven't done anything for Jesus for years. Shame on you. See, it's not a one and done. I said this prayer and all of a sudden I'm, on good, I'm in good standing now. It's a life of ministry and service to the Lord. If he's touched your life, how are you responding to that? You and God know the answer to that. Maybe it's time to come back and say, God, I served you for many years, but I've slacked the last couple. Renew the fire within me once again. I like what one old preacher in Indiana said one time. He says, God, I pray that you make the fire in my heart so hot that it will burn the lead in my feet and you get me moving again. When you got to rekindle a fire within us? One that's so hot that it will melt the lead in our feet. Back to service. Number two, what is your motive behind coming to Jesus? Hoping that he'll do something for you? Maybe if I just get a little bit closer, he'll answer this prayer that I really want him to answer. If I just do a little bit more of this, then he'll do a little bit more of that for me. What's, what's the motive behind coming to Jesus? Maybe it just needs to be simply love because of his gracious mercy to us. In response, I'll serve. And number three, what distracts you from fully following Jesus? What distracts? I mean, here he is. He just had a busy night of healing. He gets the rest that he needs for a few hours maybe. And then he goes out and finds a time and a place to pray. And everybody's looking for him. He didn't let the circumstances, the dis, the the, the the situations that were taking place around him dictate his move. He stayed true to the focus. Stayed true to the focus of his ministry. What distracts you from following following Jesus? I find in my own life it can be a lot of things: family, job, projects. We're not careful. Everything can be important. Everything's a priority. But where does God fit in this? What distracts you? 
I'm not saying that those things in life that don't need to be attended to. They absolutely do. But what takes precedence? What takes precedence? And just because I haven't shared it in a while and I was reminded that I hadn't shared it in a while, it's still all about Jesus, not about me. We need that reminder. I need that reminder. All of us need that reminder. Amen? I don't know how God can challenge you through a message like this. All week I thought there, what is the application of this? Oh, there is application everywhere. What will you do in response to it? How would God have you to respond to what you've heard today? Let's pray.